This morning's New Testament reading comes from John 6, verses 1 through 13. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he knew, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five loaves, barley loaves, and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Good morning. Glad to be here with you this morning. Have y'all seen the movie Tombstone? Some of y'all. Um, if you haven't, you need to repent of that uh, this afternoon. Go watch it. Love that movie. One of my favorite scenes is where Doc Holliday, he's risking his life for Wyatt Earp, and there's another guy. He comes up to Doc and he says, uh, he says, Doc, why are you doing this? And he says, Wyatt Earp says, I mean, Doc says, uh, Wyatt Earp is my friend. And the guy goes, well, hell, Doc, I got lots of friends. And Doc Holliday says, well, I don't. Tim is my friend. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what it's, uh, what it's like to have Tim is your pastor and Rosie, uh, it's whatever they call it these days, first lady, whatever. Um, but what a privilege. Uh, he didn't pay me to say that. I love, uh, I love Tim. And it's, uh, even when we hadn't seen each other in a long time, uh, we're right back in it. And uh, it's a privilege to be here with him. The other thing, just as a uh, forewarning, um, it's always, uh, it's always bad to process things in front of people. Uh, they say, don't do that. But um, right, right before I left to come, I went to Atlanta for staff training and then, uh, and then here to preach. And right before I left, some of you may have seen it in the, in the news. I'm in the military in the National Guard as well. And we had a plane crash in Mississippi uh, and lost 16 Marines. And we were a part of that, and it was crazy, and uh, 
I just, I just kind of went numb during that time and have been ever since until I walked in here this morning and I told Tim, I was like, I feel it kind of like rising up right now towards my face and is a typical Mississippi Delta man. I was like, shove that back down. Uh, but just to, just to say, I, I may not be able to hold it together. So, and I'm not, I wish I was, I wish I was more emotionally healthy, but I'm just not. And uh, so I don't know. I just say that to say, I don't know what might happen this morning. Um, but anyway, let's, uh, I think we should pray. And then uh, we're going to talk about this passage. So let's pray. Our Father, uh, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. We thank you that you have given us your word. But more importantly, you have given us your son and he is your word to us. We're thankful that he is the final word. That if we're wondering how you feel about us this morning, all we need to do is look to your word. Your word made flesh and we see that he is currently at this moment a friend of sinners. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convince us of that this morning. Help us to agree with the Father's opinion of us. And as Tim has already said, how difficult that is. And so we pray that you would feed us, that you would comfort us, that you would convict us, that you would change us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So the first thing from this passage is that Jesus is tempting us. If you look at verses 5 and 6, it says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to, to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip. So Jesus asked him this question and says that Jesus is testing him. That word's also used in the New Testament for tempt. He was tempting him. And we know in James chapter 1 that James tells us that God never tempts anyone. But that's talking about tempting to evil, tempting towards uh, the brokenness of this world and our nature. But Jesus is saying here, he's tempting his disciples to good. He's calling them out, drawing them out, and wanting them to feed the people. He's saying these people are hungry, and we need to fill them, to feed them. But this is what Philip hears. Philip hears, how am I going to feed these people? You know, Jesus doesn't say that. If you look at it, he says, how are we going to feed these people? And Philip hears him say, how am I going to feed these people? And he goes immediately to his own resources and he says, you know, uh, it, it's like $30,000. Just to feed everybody a little bite would cost so much money. And he says, we don't have that kind of money. What are we going to do? And so the main issue here is that, that Jesus wants to use Philip. But Philip is too caught up in his lack, in, in what he doesn't have. He doesn't realize that Jesus is right here, who he's already seen turn water into wine. He's already seen Jesus miraculously heal people. And yet Philip is still convinced, I've got to come up with my own resources. And here's the thing, Philip 
doesn't have the one thing that Jesus is actually looking for, and that is poverty of spirit. Right? He doesn't have, Jesus said that, that blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for this spirit of, I don't have the resources, and he, he wants him to turn to Jesus. You know, I, I would say that's most of us. We don't have the poverty of spirit that Jesus is looking for. And so we don't see ourselves as being in God's welfare system. And until we see that, until we see ourselves as completely lacking in resources, we'll be like Philip. We'll be saying, how can I do this? And so the second thing that Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to give what we have. You know, if you look at the little boy in this passage, and I really think that, uh, that when, you know, he says, here's this little boy, I really think he's being a smart aleck. When he's like, you know, he says, look, here's this little boy, why don't we just use his, you know, use his lunch? And Jesus is like, all right, I'll do that. But if you look at his lunch, it says it's barley loaves and baby fish is literally what it says. You know, I always think of that kid, like, even on the front of the bulletin, there's these pictures of these big fish. I think of this little kid, like, toting some sea bass on his shoulders. They're like 80-pound fish. But the word is really, it's, uh, it means pickled fish. So it's, it's sardines. I mean, it's like, it's tiny. It's not, I mean, not that that would be enough to feed, like, 10,000 people with two big fish. But still, it's, it's these baby sardines and barley loaves are the bread of the poor, right? So this is a, a poor kid, we know that, and all he has for lunch is poverty, right? It's, bread, it's not like the Italian restaurant, like you, you know, the kind of bread you would dip in the olive oil. Like, that's not it. It's barley loaves and two baby fish. It's a lunch of poverty. And Jesus says, uh, I'll use that. I... Uh, I became a Christian when I was in college through RUF, never heard RUF, uh, wasn't looking for RUF, uh, um, got taken there by one of my fraternity brothers and ended up getting converted. But when I became a Christian, I remember like one of the things that, uh, that my campus minister wanted me to do is he wanted me to go work at a camp because I guess that's like pastor's way of, uh, of telling you, you know, you need to go somewhere where there are lots of Christians in like a contained area where you can't do bad stuff. And uh, so he told me, you know, why, why don't you go work at camp? I was like, sure. I'd never been to camp. I didn't grow up going to camp. Uh, so I didn't have really a context for camp uh, that I do now. So I went to this camp, which will remain nameless, that I, and I, I may or may not have been a Christian, actually, when I went there. So if you know, when you drop your kids off at camp, just remember that. That'll <laughs> comfort you. I, uh, may, maybe I was. But anyway, uh, I remember this night. I'd been there all week, and I was just kind of processing this weirdness that was camp. And uh, this is before the kids got there. And we had this night, and we were all sitting in a circle. And we were, we were going to confess our sins before the campers got there, like really get this stuff out so we would be ready for and righteous when the kids got there. So I'd never done that before. I thought that was odd. But anyway, I'll never forget. I, I was sitting right here, and then 
the guy next to me was like, all right, I'll start and we'll go this way. So I was like, okay, that means I'm going to be last. So they start confessing stuff. And, you know, as a brand new Christian, this was really bizarre. It was a bizarre experience for me because as they're confessing sins, I'm like getting an education. I was like, it's a sin to study on Sundays. Like it, I mean, all these things that I was like, I didn't even know these were sins. So not only, I mean, I'm just like racking up guilt as they're going around. But it's, uh, I'm really starting to feel, and I'm not just trying to be fun. Like I was really starting to feel like, what do I do? Like this is, nobody's confessing sin. I don't know. I didn't even know that half this stuff was sin. And the, the one time where I did feel just a little bit of, identification with another guy is uh it's all guys and this guy was like you know he had come he had him and his girlfriend because it's really righteous if you and your girlfriend both work at camp so they had both uh they had flown together to camp and he was like on the plane ride over here I'd put my arm around my girlfriend and we had both fallen asleep and when I woke up my hand was on her chest and I'm like, all right, here we go. Like, now we're getting more into my league here. And, uh, and he's like, I, and, and then his confession was, and I didn't move my hand. And I was like, that, that's it? Like that, that's the end of story? Like that is your confession of sin, that you didn't move your hand? And I was like, man, this is not good. Uh, so I started thinking maybe I should just lie, maybe, you know, stole something or I don't know, just come up with something. But all of a sudden, I, I, maybe, surely I was converted. Because the, I guess the Holy Spirit was like, maybe you should just tell the truth. Maybe you should just really confess to these guys uh, what your life has been like in college. And so I did. I just like threw up on them. And uh, they looked shocked and horrified. But a uh, funny thing happened. Uh, right after I did that, and and I really I was like weeping during it. I'd, I'd never done that before. I'd never really just told other people uh, my sins. Um, all of a sudden, guy said, "Hey, I, I I got something I need to confess." And almost the whole room, we went back around, and guys really confessed like real deal, deep dark sin. And I don't say that to say like uh, you know like. I was the hero. I wasn't the hero. I felt horrible, and I still remember how I felt. But what I did is I took what I had, which was nothing, and I offered it up to these guys. And Jesus took it, and He made a feast. And in this passage, that's exactly what Jesus does. He takes this little boy's poverty, because that's all he has, and he just gives it to Jesus, and Jesus feeds all these people with it. You know, we, we don't do that well in the church. We don't share our poverty very well. We're, we do share our strength, and that's great. God's given you strengths. He's given you gifts, and the church needs those. But very often what we don't say is that the church, maybe even more than that, needs your weakness. Because that's what Jesus takes and feeds people. You know, there was... a. Uh, a guy that I listened to a lot, a preacher, he, um, he was good friends with a pastor in the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I think that's what it stands for. 
but he, um, he was friends with this guy, and he had the biggest church in the EPC, which, you know, in Presbyterian world, like, if you've got two or 300 people, you're, you're like, that's outrageous. But this guy had, like, 1,000 people in, uh, in his church. And he said that he, had, uh, he was really jealous of him when he heard at General Assembly how big his church had gotten. And this pastor of this huge church who was also just known as an incredible preacher and incredible leader, one night he was on vacation with his family in Hilton Head, and he left his family there that night, got in the car, drove back home to St. Louis, pulled in the garage, uh, got a uh, uh, water hose, ran it from the exhaust into his car, and killed himself. And he, uh, he left this a public letter to his, uh, to his congregation, and listen to what he said. He said, I know of nothing which any of you could have done to change my situation. Out of the countless sins I've committed in this life, it is my own wretched weakness of which I'm most ashamed. God, forgive me for not being any stronger than I am. Forgive me for being such an unfaithful shepherd. You know, what, what haunted him was his weakness. He felt like he could not share his weakness, especially with the Christians. Because we have a reputation for crucifying that. We have a reputation for if you share your weakness, we're going to burn you down. And he knew that. And, and the sad thing is we see the exact opposite in Jesus. That, that Jesus longs for us to share our weaknesses with him. And, and I know this, any time, whether I've done this or my students have done this or I've seen other people do this, when they share their poverty, Jesus uses it in such a way that he hardly ever uses your strength. Peter Hyatt said this, when you share your secrets, you hope that maybe someone will love you in the place of deepest shame. You know, what if the church was that? We, we were a place where people felt free to share their secrets, where people believe, really believe that if you share your secret, people in this church will love you in your place of deepest shame. You know, the Apostle Paul was the master at this. He, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, why, Paul was such an incredible church planner. And, and he was. You know, Paul changed the world in, in so many ways. He wrote most of the New Testament. But, but the thing about Paul that, that I think made him that was that Paul really believed that he could share his weakness. You know, we know that. Paul said that he was the chief of sinners he said he was a terrible speaker. He wasn't some great preacher, didn't have some, you know, contagious presence up front. And then he also says that he had some uh, thorn in his flesh from Satan, whatever. Who knows what that means, but I don't want it. But he's, uh, you know, he's just got this, he's just a weak guy. And he shared that with people. And God used him in an incredible way. And so... You know, there's an application there if you've ever seen one. You know, maybe this week you could just share your weakness with somebody in here. You know, maybe you could share that, uh, 
your marriage is struggling. Maybe you could share that uh, you've got an addiction. Maybe you could share that uh, your anxiety is so bad uh, that you can barely function. You know, maybe, and, and for a lot of you, that would be such a freeing moment, not just for you, but for the person you tell that to. Because what that does is that creates a place in this community where Jesus can really work. Because that really is, that, that is what he's looking for in this passage. He is saying, hey, I will take poverty, whether that's true poverty, physical poverty, or that's poverty of spirit. And if you offer it up to me, I will make a feast out of it. And so I encourage you to do that, to, to offer your weakness, whatever that is, to Jesus And then offer it to the body of Christ around you and watch him make a feast out of it. The final thing is this, is he wants us to give what we have, give whatever you have, especially if it's your weakness, so we can share in his joy. If you look at verse 13, it says they gathered 12 basketfuls of leftovers. There was an abundance. You know, you kind of notice that in everything that Jesus does. There's this abundance And so Jesus does, you know, a church plant. Jesus is going to call you to sacrifice, no doubt. But he calls you to sacrifice with joy. You know, we probably don't say this in the church enough, that Jesus doesn't want you to sacrifice past your joy. Right? I I mean, doing a lot of work in the inner city uh, for a long time, uh, I've noticed this, that lots of people burn out. Lots of people do ministry with very little joy because they hit a point where they knew their joy was running out and they just kept sacrificing. You know, I mean, you could go through example after example of where people do that because the church, uh, you know, Tim prayed this morning uh, before worship that we wouldn't put a yoke on anybody, a burden that they can't bear. And and one of the ways we do that in the church, I mean, it it could be, you know, who knows who I'll offend with this, but it could be, um, you know, there's some, I'm just thinking of issues back in our hometown, in our church. You know, we've got the contingent that... um, they're just convinced that homeschooling is the only way to uh, train up a Christian child. Um, and then we have the other contingent that's just as convinced public school is the only way. And then you're a Christian. And, and what's happened is, is there's people that they end up picking one of those routes and they lose all their joy. It just becomes a straight sacrifice with no joy. And, and Jesus would call you to sacrifice for him, but not without joy. Listen to how Hebrews describes Jesus' as sacrifice. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, Jesus, he sacrificed, gave of everything, but not out of a sense of drudgery. Not out of a sense of, I've got to do this, it's my duty. But out of a sense of joy. And that joy for him was sitting right here. It's his bride, his people. 
One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 4. The husband said to, says to his bride, he says, You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Love that verse. Uh, Martin Luther used Song of Solomon to explain justification, to explain the gospel. And, and Jesus says, look, to his church, to his bride, he says, this is why I endured the cross. So that I could look out at my bride and say, you are altogether beautiful. There is no flaw in you. You know, we, uh, it's kind of been the theme of, of this service this morning. We have a hard time believing that. We have a hard time believing that, that when God looks out at his church, he's able to say that to you. That you're altogether beautiful. There's no flaw in you. That I've taken your sin in such a way that it is separated as far as the east is from the west. And have declared you to be righteous in my sight. You know, that really in in Romans 1 is what Paul says is the fuel for our life. It's the power of salvation. It's the fuel that you need in your life this week to to just function in this life with joy. You need to be able to believe that this morning, that God looks at you as his bride. He looks at you as one who has no flaw, as one in who he sees his bride and his joy. And so this morning as we come to the table and we uh, feast together, let's remember that Christ sees us as people who are all together beautiful in this sight. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you love us, that you rejoice over us with singing. We thank you that you have called us this morning to share our weakness with one another, that you want your church to be a community of sinners, a community of people who gather around Jesus in desperate need. And we thank you that as you take our weakness, that you promise to feed it, to make a feast for people. And so I pray that this would be a community that brings in the broken, that binds up the brokenhearted, that heals the wounded, that is a part of the mission that you are accomplishing in this world to make all things new. And so we're thankful. Father, that you've given us your word this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.